you're a phenomenally strong woman and you're bringing mobility to rock climbing which is which is pretty unique in itself um how has it been received in the rock climbing community to kind of bring some of this technology of extreme hip mobility and what, what sort of feedback are you getting from the rock climbing community so far it's been mostly very positive i think climbers understand that they uh when they climb it's very apparent like if they can't get their foot up to the hold that's right there they're like oh i must not be flexible and so like that definitely registers almost immediately for them um, however, because there's just so much about like how stretching doesn't really help you perform or maybe it doesn't work, like that maybe they've tried things that just, you know, they haven't really seen any changes. So the, I think that they know that they suck at flexibility, but they don't really know how to do it and they don't really believe that it really works. So right now I'm trying to fill that gap of like, okay, I promise this is going to work, you know? Um, but yeah, like it's the probably the second thing that comes up actually for improving climbing technique is, oh, I need to get more flexible. It's like, first it's getting strong and then it's getting flexible. As far as like the entrepreneurial business side, that's really kind of perfect, isn't it? Because they know they don't know, like they know they want it and they don't know how to get it. And there aren't many people from what I see that actually know how to deliver that even in the, you know, in the athletic development world where you think it should be common, you know, yeah, it's still like, oh, if you didn't develop strength as a child, you're never going to have it. Like some of the best strength coaches in the world say that others are saying it's going to wake your, you know, your tendons aren't going to give you as much elasticity. So you're going to be weak. If, if you, you know, if you maximally stretch your, if you get, extended range of motion in the lower body you're you're going to lose power therefore you shouldn't do it therefore you know just use ice and traditional therapies like to to kind of get your tendons back online and and that that sort of thing yeah so it creates like a massive opportunity of all these people out there that have been basically lied to whether they you know whether it was deliberate or just you know negligent like not or you know misinformation for whatever reason we know that it can change. So that gives you such a huge opportunity. It looks as though you're taking that opportunity. Like what, talk to us about the results that you're actually seeing with people and the feedback. It must be, oh must my be gosh. a lot of fun. Yes. Like everyone who's going through the flexibility programs are just like, oh, I can't believe that I've been able to make these kinds of gains in such a short amount of time. And then like there's, the visible differences in like the stretch. So let's say we're doing the the splits or something, but then they're like, oh, I haven't climbed at all, but I'm better at climbing. And that's what I love to hear. I'm like, wow, you haven't been climbing, but you're still maintaining your strength. And now you're able to move. And that's fantastic. And um, yeah, almost, almost every single person has said that. And that's just like gold right there. And are you programming their strength work as well for, for well, all these people? Or yeah, so the when I'm running my flexibility course, it's like it's a group course, so we're really focusing on the flexibility component. Um, yeah. But I do give them some options if they want to continue some of their climbing training at home. So we'll do hangboard training. Yep. So I'll give them a little layout for that to keep their fingers strong, maybe even get them a little bit stronger. And then there's a little bit of strength work for the upper body. Um, Otherwise, all of the flexibility work has like the strength component in it um, when when we're working that flexibility for the lower body. If you're um, do do a lot of the people that you you work with from from the rock climbing background, do they train strength in traditional? You know, like do they generally value like traditional strength training of like or is it just chin-ups? Like, do they value even chin-ups or is it more like I just want to be on the wall? It's really interesting. So climbers, I think climbers or like climbing as an industry is still kind of forming its identity a little bit about like, how do we go about getting better at this thing? And for the longest time, climbers were like, we're not, like, we don't train 
we just climb like that. That was like a really big mentality for them. That was uh, the identity. I think a lot of like climbers wanted, like they're hardcore. All they do is climb. Um, but now that it's in the Olympics, it's going to be the, in the Olympics for the first time this year. Um, and there are fantastic athletes that we, the technology had to catch up somehow. And so like, I see the, like the elite athletes doing lifting. So they're working on lifting, but it also seems like a lot of it is still like body weight centered unless they're doing pull-ups. So they'll do yep. weighted pull-ups, um, weighted hangs. Um, otherwise it is like, it, it's definitely more geared to the body weight component. I think yeah. that's where climbers feel maybe most comfortable. Um, yeah. yeah. Like otherwise like lifting is still, we're, we're still trying to get like lifting in there. Um, and I've been a victim to just body weight training. I, I think it's fantastic. I wrote a book about it. Um, simple strength. Um, yeah. but you can't just do the one thing, you know, you have to have some variety and lifting heavy just gives you so much more in terms of like a spectrum and confidence as well. Um, so I, I see a shift it's shifting, but mm -hmm. I would say this still, people are just thinking I need to just work on pulling and work on my fingers and that's it. Like, or, and climb a lot. Um, yep. and we have like such a high rate of injury in climbing, mm -hmm. um, because of the, the high volume. Um, yep. so yeah, that's, that's slowly changing. Yeah. It just creates huge opportunity for people, you know, for you to, to really offer people solutions. And I think bringing solutions from hand balancing, bringing solutions from, the, you know, the strength training world from people like Charles Poliquin and, you know, yeah. the, the knees over toes is, is like an extension on the Charles Poliquin methodology, reverse engineering that stuff for, for forearms. Like we've, we've been chatting a little bit about it. Like it makes yeah. so much sense and you can add potentially so much value where, people are using, you know, icing and um, not, you know, and inflammatory creams and things like that that can have really negative impact on the tendon health, on the gut, you know, et cetera. Like yeah. it's cool that, you you know, you definitely have, you have so much yeah, the potential to, to do good and to change perspectives. Um, that's, that's, yeah. that's the, the fun of it, I guess, is expressing those ideas more clearly and, and getting, you know, getting to new people. It, it does seem like a really kind of high innovation space as well. I, I just bought, um, bought one of those Tindex, you know, the, yes. um, yeah, like I've, that. Cause that, I, I think I shared the link with you. Was that right? In the I, group? I, I, maybe I, I looked yeah. at it a while and okay. then, um, I think cause I wasn't, I don't, I don't remember who showed me then like yeah. a little while back. And then I remembered about it again and I remembered like it was the, you know, the guy, he's got a big YouTube channel. You probably know his name. Um, no, I don't. Sure the, I'm so bad with no. names. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, one of the guys, you know, one of the biggest names in rock climbing on YouTube. Yeah. Um, he's behind it. But yeah, uh, I want to actually use that device for other, um, especially upper body movements and stuff because I'm training like mostly sort of body weight and modified stuff and using isometrics and that sort of stuff. So having like a force transducer makes, yeah. makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's like, but it's, it seems like there's a lot of cool innovations in that space. There's some cool apps and there's, you know, there's a few companies that seem to be, you know, really evolving the, the space. Um, yeah. Yeah. The isometric training is probably the most overlooked, like people, don't think about the isometric training. And when you look at climbing, there's a lot of isometrics in it. Like you're practically an isometric a lot of the time, and then you're making very explosive movements and then hitting into an isometric position. Yep. Um, so yeah, the Tindek and like, there's the, another one called the G-Force, which is like a thousand dollars, but it really, it measures rate of force development. Okay. Um, so that one is amazing, amazing device. Um, like, yeah, that one is probably the best on the market right now. Do you know how many kilos it goes up to? It must go higher. Um, it's, it's pretty high. Expensive. Yes, yeah. it's pretty high. It, it might even be a couple thousand kg. I'm not sure, but it's like higher than any other device I've seen. Because we've been chatting about it on the Real Movement app and a few of the guys have actually built their own versions. And then there's like um, an old website called Dragondor 
It was yeah. where Pavel Tatsalin used to, yeah. So they they sell one. I think it's a it's maybe like five hundred bucks or something. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's for isometrics, but it has like yeah. the number, you know, the number feedback. I mean, I know quite a few coaches who built their own, and then there's a few like super fancy tech, but I, I just feel like it hasn't really been solved that well yet. So I actually yeah. messaged the guys from Tindeck of like, you know, are you interested in doing a higher forced version of this, um, yeah. you know, and potentially collaborating on it? But I will check out this this GeForce. I'm sure there's, yeah, someone must be solving it out there, but I just haven't yeah. stumbled across it. But I have like cast the net out of, you know, on my through my Instagram networks and whatnot, and I haven't yeah. found a good solution yet. But um, you may have just shared it with me, so that'd yeah, be cool to, they have to different tiers. So they have the GeForce has a really big device, which is like the the high end one, and then there's yep. one that's a little bit smaller that yep. I think would be just as good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's interesting. How how long have you actually been in business in, you know, like you've, when did you write that book? It's very first oh, question. Yeah, I wrote Simple Strength in 2015. Um, yep. I have been climbing for maybe, oh, like 12, 13 years or something like that. Um, and I was a yep. tennis player before that in my previous life. Okay. Um, yeah, so I've been coaching for a really long time, um, but climbing coaching probably for about 10 years. Did you coach yeah. tennis as well? I did, yes. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah I think I, it's a good background. It's quite technical movement patterns and, Yes. Yeah. So that's, it's all about technique. That's really like, yeah. yeah. and moving as fast as you can. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, you know, like surprisingly, that kind of training really transferred over to yeah. climbing, like I was like fairly developed. I couldn't do pull-ups, but I could move really well. Um, yeah. And I was very like surprised by that. I'm like, how am I better, like look pretty good at climbing than most beginners? So I'm like, okay, this is, I think they're, the time that I put into tennis really helped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then I've been doing like my, uh, my online coaching 100% just for the last year. And then before that, I was like helping people online, like coaching them online as like, you know, when, when you work in the climbing industry, you don't get paid very much. So I was coaching on the side for, for a very long time to, um, one, I, I loved it. You know, that's like, this is what I love to do. Um, but yep. it helped to supplement my income. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been full-time doing this for, like for a year. You were a tennis coach and then you've been like rock climbing. Have you had other professions or? I was, so my dad is in the hotel industry. Um, okay. And uh, so I, I grew up in kind of that space and I did try to be in the hotel industry. Like it's awesome. It's really like, like it's fun. Um, but it, yeah, it, it wasn't the thing. Like sports have, has always been what I love. And uh yeah, no, I haven't really had any other industries, which is really interesting. Um, I was a researcher for a long time I because I have my master's degree um, and I was thinking about getting my doctorate. And so I did research for a couple of years in Boulder at their like uh, sport and exercise lab. Um, yep. Yeah. Just And I taught for a while in college as well. Um, yep. So dabbled in a couple of different things. Did you, did you study exercise science or... Yeah. So I, uh, it's exercise sciences, my bachelor's and my master's is in human movement and sports conditioning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. One of the, one of the few who actually makes it to made it to private business, being able to work, you know, in yep. what you do for yourself. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah. The, uh, education component is, you know, I, I really pushed for my education because I wanted to stay in the U S um, so I'm actually Australian. Um, I grew up in Townsville and really? I, yeah, <laughs> I <know that>. yeah. <laughs> and, um, like there, if you're a tennis player, you either have to go pro when you're, when you're done with high school or you go to school or get a job or something. Um, but I wanted to do both and the U S offered both, like you can go to school and continue to play. Um, so I was like, yes, I'm going to try to get a full ride at a college in the U S and see how far yeah. I can push my tennis. And 
So that's how I came over to the U.S. And I just like I loved uh, the the cities that I was in. I was like, I want to stay here. So I ended up just pushing to to stay here. And education was the easiest way, honestly, um, yeah. because you have to show that you're not taking someone else's job away. That oh, this yeah, is a yeah, very yeah. highly skilled person. Um, so that was like my number one motivator was to try to stay in the U.S. and like the the climbing and even the tennis was, was like so great here. Um, but I miss Australia, you know, I definitely miss Australia. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's, yeah. um, that's crazy. So where, where did you arrive to first when you, when you went to the U S I first came to Iowa, which yeah. is probably like, I had no idea. I was like, all I heard is that I should stay away from the South part of the U S you know, like that's it. So I chose all the colleges, like kind of more on the Western side um, so I was in Iowa for a year, uh, for two seasons. So a year and a half. Um, so that's division one. Um, but they cut our program. Um, at the time, a lot of colleges were cutting their women's programs, especially. Um, so I was like, this is a sign that I should leave Iowa. So I went to Denver, um, and I yeah. played for two seasons there, which was the best decision. Um, yeah. I love Denver. Um, and that's yeah. where I started climbing as well. Yes. It's a cool city, it's you know, awesome, Boulder, yeah. like just, yeah. just not too far away is a, is a good That's place right. to arrive to, I think. Yeah. 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 How did you find it initially? Like how was the adjustment from Australian life to being a college student in the, in the U.S.? Well, you can tell by my accent that I'm not Australian anymore. So like when I moved, <laughs> <laughs> when I moved, it was the hardest thing for me was trying to fit in and making sure like, you know, that I was being one of the people because I kind of knew I was like, I really want to stay here. And the, the, me being different in Iowa was a little different. Cause like I'm a person of color. Like I am a foreigner. I took a scholarship away from an American and that like in Iowa, that's where I had probably the hardest time actually like the, okay was not greatly accepted. Like it was me and like two other international students. We were just like, oh my God, we don't feel like we fit in here. And like my accent, people would just not be able to understand me. And I'm like, why can't you? I'm speaking English. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually Iowa where I started to try to like force my accent a little bit. And then when I moved yeah. to Denver, things were a little different in Denver. Like I felt yeah. so much more accepted and yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm queer. So like Denver was definitely more open to that than in Iowa. Um, so <laughs> you're right. You're right. This place that just really like, wasn't very accepting of no of anything yeah. about you. Yeah. And like tennis was great, but I was like, you know what? Gotta go. Yeah. And Denver was awesome. Um, so was yeah, it good but for I could be in that environment, like as a, like a personal, from a personal development level of like, accepting that not everybody likes you you know I think like there's some there's some benefit to that I think like you know I think everyone a lot of people try to people please and like I know it's a thing for me like if, if someone doesn't like my program or they don't like a post or whatever like like that fear of of you know criticism and not pleasing everybody it really drives a lot of a lot of people's decisions through life or like I won't try this I won't try that because what if somebody doesn't agree with it I imagine that that maybe you became desensitized like to a degree to, to you kind of know they're going to judge you anyway and you can't do anything about it. So yeah. You know, yeah. That's uh that's really interesting. I think like uh, even in Australia, I would say like I was, I've always been a people pleaser. I was like constantly trying to live up to people's expectations and try to fit into some sort of mold um and in townsville like i don't know if you've ever been there but it yeah, yeah. is a very small town where yeah. you know I, I again like i i didn't really quite feel myself in queensland's in probably like texas in a way maybe or yes. where, where would you say it's most like in the u.s no for sure it's like yeah. deep southern texas yes um and townsville especially more than brisbane or sunshine yeah. coast a bit different but yeah, Brisbane was great. Actually, I lived in Brisbane for a year before moving to the U.S. and it's actually fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think like just like 
finally, when I like moved to Denver and realized what acceptance really was, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I guess I'd always been like, well, I just don't fit in. I'm like, it feels kind of crunchy. It's weird. Um, and yeah, I think now it like what you're saying is like, yeah, I am used to not always fitting in and just being kind of like this entity out here trying to do my own thing and hopefully it'll work, you know? Um, it's, yeah. yeah. It's funny, but I think like in business, if you don't make that decision, you're probably not going to win. Like in small business, in these, you know, these times, entrepreneurship, et cetera, like if you don't come to terms with that, like that some people are not going to be your customers and some people are actively going to be negative about things that, you know, you believe in and you think you're really being positive and helping people. Yeah. Um, like going through that is like part of the, it's like the puberty of uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you go through it in other ways, I think for me, like it might've been, like I spent a lot of time in Latin America backpacking and stuff in my twenties. And, you know, maybe that made it a little bit easier for me to kind of just go like, yeah, I'm going to give this a go because I'd moved around so much. And then I lived in France, you know, um, working with the rugby team there before I went back to Australia, like, I think I'd already been through a lot of that stuff of like being the odd one out, like, you know, being a white guy in, in Latin America, you know, you're always kind of called names and you're not used to being called names and like they're, yeah, they're really like just fun with their labels. They like, they have no like political correctness kind of, it's not in a lot of the cultures down there. Um, and so, yeah, all that stuff was like, I think that really did help me when I decided to start a business um, but, you know, you still, and, and it's still there. Like no one likes to be hammered by people saying that you're a bad person for whatever <laughs> the technique is that you're trying to deliver or the type of diet that you, yeah, pres- you know, you, you, uh, you're practicing or offering to other people or whatever, but um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah I, think, yeah. I think it did help as well. Like the, like the strength and conditioning world, like there's just not, there's still not as many women as I would like to see. But when I first started in strength and conditioning, like, yeah, like 10 years ago, I think I got my certification and like, what's great is that climbing has always, like, I felt pretty supported by the climbing industry in terms of like being a coach. Um, sure. I've had, I had like people always like question me about, oh, why, like, like, why would you do this? Um, but not in like a curiosity way. Um, However, like having that mindset of like, I know I can do this, like this is what I love and I just got to keep pushing and at some point this is going to work. Um, And like, I think that like my life experience has helped me just continue to be in this space, um, even though there's not as many strength coaches yet that are women, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that's like, to me, like now, like being really passionate about business, it's like, yeah, that's, that's where the opportunity is. Like you're going ident- to, like people are really going to identify with you and then you're going to like have that fanatical fan base. And I can see like with the content that you're putting out and, you know, you're doing a lot of things right from what I can see from a business perspective, I'm like, yeah, like she's, she's really going to crush it. Like it's going to grow and it's going to work. And um, you have been doing that, I guess, like how talk to share a little bit about like that entrepreneurial online sort of business journey so far? Oh man. Yeah. So, um, I quit my full-time job in 2019. It was like the end of 2019. And at that point I was like, I want to, I want to do this thing. I don't really know what I'm doing. I I really don't. I like, I've heard you should do some Instagram posts. Um, and so that like, I'm talking about marketing. Like I, I, in terms of marketing, I've just like had no idea. And, uh, eventually like, uh, I don't know if you know, like Ryan Hurst from GMB. Um, yeah. So he was a mentor, like he still is a mentor of mine. Um, so when I first quit, he called me, he's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm freaking out. Um, and he, (laughs) like, he helped me kind of like formulate like how I wanted to structure my business. And, uh, so I, I came up with a little bit of a, a plan and just like started putting stuff out there. And that was like the best thing I could do was just like, just start doing that. And every night I'd wake up in a, in a sweat, like, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to make enough money this month. Um, but eventually like every month after month, it, 
like it started working and then COVID happened. So that kind of changed my business model again. I had to completely shift. And that's when I found you guys, you know, yeah. at Real Movement. You know, um, do you remember how, like, how did you come across us? Was it with? Ben Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, cause I had, yeah, I, I had started doing Ben stuff kind of at the end of 2019 yep. and uh, I was like, wow, this is like fucking awesome. And then, um, that's how I found you guys. I think in March or April is when I started, um, yep. training with you. Had guys. you had knee issues with tennis? Um, so tennis, no, it was actually after tennis that I, yeah, I was actually like, uh, I think because of all the lateral movement and I did almost no lower body strength training that I think yeah. my ligaments were not super strong. And I eventually like, I was actually training for climbing. I was doing like box jumps and stuff. And I actually tore my ACLs, both yeah, of them, right. like oh, one year after time, the or? other. Oh, no, yeah. one year, one year apart, yeah. Yeah. which is very common, yeah. especially in women. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure. yeah. And so that when I saw his knee protocols, like, yeah, I got to do this. Cause like the ACL, cause I took it from the patella tendon. That's where the graft yeah. was yeah, taken yeah. from, which is rough. And I don't recommend anyone to do that. Uh, especially if you want to continue jumping. Um, so like the, the recovery was fine, but like in terms of my athleticism, like my jump height just like completely decreased like by a lot. Yeah. So like, I'm still trying to work on getting back to what I used to be able to jump. Um, yeah. yeah. And his program was great. Um, but yeah, so like after I found you guys and like, like kind of restructured my whole business, I'm like, cause I've always been into mobility training for climbing. Um, yeah. but I also didn't believe in stretching. And then when I started working with like Lucas and like Emmett has always been in like the background for me, Emmett Lewis was like, Oh, it's really interesting. The things that you're doing, but it seems very circus or like dancer specific. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't a true believer until I started hanging out with you guys and yeah. yeah. And then that like has really helped me shift and recreate my business. Yeah. But in the end, it's like, like I just had to keep going. Like that was yeah. really it. That I felt like there were definitely points where I was like, I'm quitting. Like I'm going to go back yeah. to a different job. Um, and still like today it's like, who knows? Just keep going. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's no guarantees. I think there's, there's no, you know, but that's kind of the fun of it too. You know, it's all yeah. built on trust and human relationships and real results. Like I think, I think it's a great place to live from, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. Some people are just loving that, you know, they just want the security of a paycheck, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's cool. It's really cool to see like, there's no way I would ever reach the people that you're working with. And to have played like a tiny part in what you're doing and see like, you know, that Lucas's work has influenced your work um, yes. is really fun. Like it's really yeah. cool for me. Like that's really why I left rugby to, to try to do that sort of thing. And obviously like then the, the, the connection and collaboration with Ben has like introduced, you know, real movement and then like via that Lucas and, and it's just um, – it's cool to see that, that, that flow on effect of things. And yeah, even you sort of talking about that, you know, Ryan Hurst and, and Emmett, like I wouldn't have picked that either. Like I went and juggled in the park with Emmett in Ireland in like six years ago or something like before he kind of, before I'd seen too much of his stuff, someone said, Oh, you should, you should go and meet this guy. Cause I was already doing some juggling and whatever. And um, yeah, really cool guy. And then he ended up presenting for us with, with real movement. Maybe that's why you jumped on because you had those live, um, those those yeah. live um, things were a lot of fun that we had there, yeah. intensive and then the other one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, those connections I think are so valuable. Like there's a couple of things there that stand out to me. Like you have had those connections and you have been able to like sort of see those role models and people are like this guy's making it work in this way, this person's making it work in that way. And, and I think having that is a really important thing that people should recognise that it's okay to – see the positive what someone else is doing and ask them for support with it or just you know kind of borrow ideas and it makes it so much more fun and and more likely to succeed um the other thing that i love that you're um that you're saying there is just you know you have to get that feedback loop going you know like once you 
you just keep going and you keep that feedback loop going of like, oh, people like this and like I'm getting really good results with that. Like publishing your idea and putting your your product out there and having like having a launch, having a, you know, we've spoken about like not every launch goes as well as as <laughs> as the other ones. And, you know, yeah. but that's the the fun of it is in like, I think this is amazing. Now, what does, you know, what do people think? What does the market think? Yeah. Um and, and a lot of people never get into that feedback loop. Like they literally don't have a product on the market that people can say yes to that would allow them to be an online coach. Like so many people want to be online coaches right now and I'll have the conversation with them. Okay, well, what are you offering? And they literally don't have anything that people can say yes to. Like they're putting a lot of effort into posting and whatnot, but then there is actually nothing on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes there's like something broken in the stack. Like it's just too hard for them to get started or they can get started and they've got fans and they've got a bunch of people on the like the, the free ebook or the like super cheap thing, but then there's a there's a barrier either to scaling within that or like there's nothing where people can invest a bit more if they want a bit more attention. Um, once you have once like but playing with that model and getting the feedback is the best way I think to to do it and looking at what other people are doing like what's working for for other people. Um, are you what are you testing experimenting with at the moment so right now my offerings are one-on-one coaching uh, which is like the high end and then mm-hmm. i have uh, my group coaching um which is like mid-range and they're they're more like smaller group trainings and then yep. i have kind of like like this the self-paced um programs yep. so like that's kind of like what i have and then i've got my books and um so right now i'm like trying to figure out you know how can i like how do i run like how do i market all of these products within the year and be able to run multiple groups like so i'm trying to like figure that out um but i'm missing a tier which is like kind of like the bottom tier like i don't have a lot actually in um like the the entry point um, yep. for, for people, like I have my book, but then there's nothing else to go to. And so I see that that's like a really big missing component in my business. And yep. so that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. I'm like, you know, subscriptions are awesome. Like they're a lot of work, but that could be a really nice way to get people in. So that's, that's what I'm looking at right now. And like, like your guys's model is really awesome. Um, I don't think I could scale to that. Cause like you guys need a lot of people to like, run like the quality that you have you know at real movement um but it's it's inspiring like that's what i would really like to to work toward um and i love my one-on-ones though like yeah. working with people one-on-one is so rewarding um yeah, yeah. so that's kind of where i'm at right now um it's so but, great to, yeah the way that you can tailor it though like you test an idea of like yeah. you know you get to 50 members or 100 members and then you go like oh don't really know all these people, you know, I, I really preferred it much better when I knew everybody. Like I had to go through that with, with real movement. Like I've always known everybody. And then it got to a point where it's like 200, 250, 300, 300. And then <laughs> so, at some point you're like, you know, and people are coming and going cause it's cheaper, yeah. you know, than what I'd had in the past. So like the level, like people kind of just checking it out and it doesn't make them bad people. It's just, you know, it doesn't mean they didn't, you know, um, get some value or, or whatever, but, you know, people have things going on in their lives. They have other priorities. You know, everyone's had economic change in the last, you know, 12 months. So dealing with that for me as a business owner has been like a, a big change. And um, I love the fact that you can just, you know, when it's your business, you can pivot and set it up however you want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can go back and say, no, like I really want to know a few people deeply and have a closer relationship with them. Like I'm going to launch like a group for 10 people. And, yeah. you know, instantly you have a different business basically. And, you know, that's, yeah. I think yeah. um, that's a real joy of like what we, what we get to do and just constantly being creative about like, how can we make this experience better? And, you know, yeah. I, I love that. And I love hearing about what other people are going through with their businesses because now I've been doing this for like seven years. Generally I have some ideas or thoughts of like, you know, what if you tried this or what if you did that? Um and it's yeah. so cool when people are like, yeah, like, 
you know, they do it, you know, even just starting is the biggest thing, but then, you know, forming their brand and like putting a product out there. But then all those little tweaks can literally be like the difference between being able to be full-time in your own business versus going and stacking shelves or working at a restaurant or, you know, going to work in some clinic somewhere that's like not exactly what you you want to be doing. So it's like yeah, huge difference. Um, yeah. Have you started yeah. to like have people asking you about business ideas and things as well? Like I know you, you get, like you put a lot of effort into your social media and you've got really cool, cool content. Like, yeah. 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 It's starting to happen, um, which is interesting because I still feel like I'm like, I still don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but it's like evident that, oh, it's like, yes, I, I've been doing this for a while. Like even before I quit my job, I was doing the online coaching on the side. And I think that's like a, that's the kind of a big thing is like, yes, I was able to form relationships with people over the years and now I can leverage that. And like, we're all helping each other. Um, like my business didn't just happen in one year. You know, like this has been like f- since 2015, since I wrote my book, that's basically what, you know, I've been pushing a little bit since then. And now it's, I'm reaping the benefits of that. And I think that really should be like, don't forget that. Like you have to put the time in and develop real relationships with people like that. that I think that's going to be gold for you, like later down the road. And that's probably been like my big, my biggest lessons so far in in running a business and yeah, like it, I, I really like hope that like the folks that who are just starting their online business aren't like, you have to understand that, yeah, it just takes a lot of time. But also if you're dreaming about this thing, like you go to bed and you're like, oh, I want to have this online business. Like I see the things that I want, like continue to have that uh, as part of your life. Like if that goes away, then maybe that's not your passion. You know, like it really has to be something that you love and that you're ready to work hard for, you know? Um, cause it's, so it's not, not like passive income. Yeah. Yeah. I think that so many online, like, uh, business coaches or whatever, I, that, like now I'm seeing a shift where the business coaches is saying you have to love what you do. But before I remember like that wasn't really been talked about like, Oh, anyone can do this. Like that is not true. Like, yeah. A lot of guys. Yeah. A lot of people are face to face, like personal trainers, you know, they're working face to face. They're doing their 20, 30, 40 hours a week face to face. Yeah. And then somehow they've been sold on the idea of like, well, if people like me here, then I'll just go online and people will jump on my subscription or I'll just coach them online. I won't even have to spend that time with them and they're going to yeah. pay me a bunch of money and I'm going to get <laughs> awesome results. Yeah. And then, then reality, you know, I, I don't know anybody who's just been like add it to your bio and then from there you have like a full-time income online. Like right. Um, right. There's not a path that many people go down. Um, yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah same for anything. And the fun is the fun is in solving the challenges. But for sure, it's I think what people often it's not realized is like if you're going into the global market and you want to do well, then you better bring your A game because you know people are looking at every sort of you know business and opportunity out there. And yeah, you you have to stand apart. And I guess that's what we're talking about before. Like wherever your point of difference is, like who you are uniquely. And what you've been through, like that's really the blessing. And kind of the weirder you are, the better the chances. Like yeah. <laughs> because yeah. people are going to be able to recognize, oh, this is not vanilla. Like there's so much vanilla that yeah. your chances of selling vanilla are, are very, very slim. You know, you need yeah. to be like polka dot bubblegum mint, you know, chalk chip. And then you know, someone's <laughs> gonna be after that and you're gonna be the one. Like, so like rock climbing for women with with mobility is like. It's, a, it's an awesome niche, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. The cool thing as well is like when someone comes from that background of like really caring as a coach and wanting to get awesome, awesome results, like I think that that's – they're the people that I really you know love coming across is like where you're actually really a master of something and then you want to do the online rather than like I don't really have any credibility or real results. I'm not really – 
you know, super well-versed as a coach and I want to go online, like that's, you know, that's probably not the place. It's probably not going to work. Um, yeah. With your, with your training at the moment, like what, what is, uh, what's most exciting for you, like on your own personal journey? I see you, you know, super strong on the one arms. Like what's, what's uh, yeah. lighting your fire at the moment? Well, before moving to Seattle, I, like I was always gunning for double digit, which is just like, cause I'm a boulder, so I don't use ropes. Um, and the grading system is a little different than if you were on a rope. Um, and so in bouldering, you know, I always wanted to climb V10 and that's, that's like the grading system goes from V0 to V17, I think right now. And so like V10 is like very high end, like it's like elite, elite. And um, you know, I was very close multiple times at double digit. And then I moved to Seattle, worked full time, did a lot of other things. So now I'm coming back. I'm like, oh, I'm getting strong again. I've been consistently training for about a year. And I'm like, I'm ready to, to face that goal again. And so I think that's kind of like my, the, the fire right now is to, is to climb that hard. Um, yeah. and it's possible, which what's awesome about climbing is that you can just continue to climb for a really long time and continue to get strong. Um, yeah. and yeah, so that's, that's what I'm looking at right now. And the season right now, like in Seattle, isn't great. So I'm, I'm going to be heading to the desert here in, in a month to go try to climb some stuff. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's a, is a, is it, more, is it more scary? Is it more courage in the bouldering, especially the natural environments? Like you can get some pretty gnarly falls or? Yeah, it, it's so different. So the, yeah, like it can be very scary, but like move per move in a boulder problem is so much harder than on a rope climb. So on a rope climb, you have so many other things to think about. You've got the rope, you've got like safety just in general you've got like the big fall that you could potentially take. Um, you know, there's also a higher risk of death in rope climbing. Whereas in, in bouldering, like there's a lot more, um, it's more about the movement and like, it's very gymnastic, but if you do choose to climb higher things, you just have to prepare a lot more and just know, like, like I used to be, we call it highball bouldering. So anything that's above 15 feet is, a, is a highball. Um, and I used to do more of that when my body was a little bit more together and I, like I was younger, like I didn't really care as much. Um, so I don't really do that as much anymore. I f I'm climbing within like my, my comfort zone. Um, 15 feet pretty, <laughs> pretty hard to, to fall from without control. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Even onto a mat or whatever, it's still pretty it's, full on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, for bouldering, it's like 15 feet. You're like, Whew, okay, I have to think about this a little bit on my fall. Um, yeah. And if you don't know how to fall, that's when climbing feels very scary. Um, yeah. And so that's a skill set. Like you just have to keep like, like practicing over and over again is how do I fall well? Yeah. So what do you, do you have like a few different options of like, so if you fall in a certain way, then you know how to land from that position versus, because I guess like anyone can jump back off the wall and kind of like, if you know it's, if you fall under control, it's fine. But like, I guess sometimes you kind of not in the optimal yeah. position. Talk, talk to us about how yeah. this falling goes down. Yeah. yeah. Like I learned actually a lot of my falls in from parkour and really like no matter what position you're in, try to be as relaxed as possible. And that, that thought of like, I have to be relaxed while I'm falling just isn't very natural. Um, so like most of the time we're falling straight back and like the legs normally are the first contact. And so like you want to be as soft and controlled and you kind of like depending on the height. So if it's 15 feet, you're probably going to do a bit of a judo roll yeah. out of it. So you'll fall and like roll back a little bit. Um, sometimes you'll fall and go to the side. And at that point you have spotters. So like, you have people on the ground who are there. Their job is to keep you on the pads. So if you're landing kind of sideways, like I'm always just trying to think like, protect my head or hopefully someone is going to protect my head and my job is to stay as relaxed as possible and like hopefully like I can roll out of whatever landing position I'm in um yeah so it's I would say like 
look at judo or like parkour and like those things, those skill sets can really transfer over. So you try not to be rigid because if you make yourself rigid, then ligaments and stuff will. Yeah. It's like a whiplash. Like that's what it feels like. If you're like super tight, like you get all of the whiplash up through like your neck and head. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I never, never thought about that. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. And, and does, how do you find the strength? And, you know, now that you've gone further with your lower body mobility and, you know, you, you know, the, you know, you know, the strength training side of things, like how is that impacting your, your journey to the V10? Like, well, what's been great is that all of my flexibility training, um, has been, it's basically taken my body, like, because I'm so much more flexible now, I don't have to pull as hard. So that means I don't have to like focus so much on upper body, uh, which is great because like the, in terms of handling so much volume, um, you know, like nowadays it, it, it is really hard to train a lot upper body. So the, the flexibility component has really just helped me elevate my overall movement so that I don't have to necessarily like like pound my upper body all the time. Um, yep. so I think that's like the, the biggest thing that I've seen from my training recently. And like, as, so I've been training for about a year consistently. And so over the next year, my goal is to like continue to push my upper body strength. Like at some point there, there's diminishing returns, but you know, yeah. we always want to see gains somewhere in upper body, especially like, like finger strength. Um, and yeah. that's, you know, that's going to be like, I would really like to be able to hang one arm with like, uh, it's like a half crimp. So your, your fingers are going to be like this, like, that's my goal. Cause I, some of the stuff I want to climb, I need to be able to like hold this for at least a second and then, you know, come in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting for right now. Very cool. So yeah. you, yeah, you're doing isometric work on, on that position. Yes. And do you have, um, do you have something that quantifies that or you, you just make one hand, one hand like that and then the amount of strength that you need from the other hand or yeah, how do you like? Yeah. So we, there's a couple different ways. So I have a crane scale, which is not as cool as the Tindek. I just got the Tindek actually. Um, so, but before I had just a crane scale and, uh, once a week I would test my max pull at, so we have 90 degrees and 120. Those are kind of like the common positions for climbing. And so I would test like three to five seconds. I'll pull as hard as I can and just measure that over time. Mm -hmm. But my, my training would be, um, so about a year ago was always like two arms and my lower hand, sometimes the lower hand could be the um, the focus. So the lower hand is on a smaller crimp and my upper hand is on something bigger. And I would try to put as much weight over that hand or vice versa. So this hand is doing most of the work. Um, and then we do just do a lot of like this positioning, different hand positions. So the hand positions really matter on how your shoulder recruits. So like, like slopers, like anything like this, that's going to be a lot more shoulder, whereas this is going to be more bicep. Um, so trying to work as many different grip positions using isometrics. So it's like five seconds is like the very common um, yep. isometric hold. And then we'll do long duration isometrics either as a warm up or on a separate uh, separate session later in the day. You hold like mm-hmm. one or two for 20 seconds. Um, yep. And so now that I have the Tindek, I'm like going to be really interested in seeing like how I can use that not just for upper body, stuff, but also like my hamstrings because hamstrings play such a critical role in climbing. So we have what's called a heel hook where you're just like putting your heel on you. You're like, you crank really hard. Um, and again, it's an isometric, it's mostly an isometric position. Um, and your hamstrings keep you in on the wall as well. Like you're just pulling yourself. So, um, I'm looking forward to like seeing how the Tindek can really help those positions, um, and measuring like being able to measure leg strength with the Tindek and then like uh, measuring that over the course of a flexibility program. I think that would be really cool. Like measuring your end range strength 
Um, yeah. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's kind of like what I, what I've been thinking about the last like week since getting the device. Yeah. 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 And it's like, that's the fun of it, I guess, is, you know, always being able to experiment. I was just speaking with Tom Hibbert, who's had the world record in the under 90 uh, log clean and press, like world's strongest man type stuff. He's training some world's strongest man guys, got a gym over here in England. Um, and we're just chatting about like, it's just, as long as there's an experiment running, like life is good, you know, like you, you're testing out ideas, you're learning new stuff, you're sharing the best of it. Like it's, yeah. it's just makes life fun. Like, yeah. Um, and sometimes it doesn't go to plan, right? So when it doesn't go to plan in rock climbing, it's very common to see that tendonitis, right? What, yeah. um, we've been chatting a little bit about it, but like, what are you, what's the best, what's getting best results in tendonitis? What are people, you know, not know that they need to know? Um, yes, this is tricky. So like, I would say sometimes it's a muscle imbalance. Like, yeah, we, we could work the, the balance of muscles for pulling and pressing, like making sure that, you know, like a, like a three to one or a four to one pull press, you know, like you're at least doing that, like have some sort of pressing in your program. Um, yeah. and the, the yeah. isometrics are great. The great too, like the holding the neutral grip pull up yep. is going yep. to like balance out most things in the upper body in a pulling position. Um, and then isometric the against the pins pressing, um, the bar against the pins for in a bench press position that seems to also just like take care of some of that stuff. Um, so like the muscle balance is there. Like, I think climbers just don't really put enough emphasis on pressing and any other, like, you know, tricep work or anything like that. Um, the, the most common thing though, is just too much volume. Like yeah. people are climbing like four or five days a week with not enough rest time. So the frequency and the volume really have to be, that's a science and it's going to be very individual for everyone. And if you just scale that back, all of a sudden tendonitis is not an issue anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's like, those are the two areas that I think are the most common for tendonitis. I guess it's really easy to do maximal effort stuff, like to fall into doing maximal effort most days where in strength training, like most people won't max out every day. And especially right. with bigger movements, you don't really want to, like with squats or bench press, like you have to kind of psych yourself up because there's so much energy coming from the nervous system to execute where if you're going for a small hold, then the central fatigue might not be that big from it, but like the local structural challenge is going to be so high. So it'd be like tempting yes. to hit that maximal stuff like or super oh maximal God. isometrics and uh, yeah all, all the time, the time. Right? yes yeah. like especially yeah. when you go outside and it's like it's a beautiful day and you're like trying this thing and there's a group of people cheering you on and you're just like hammering it over and over again and that's like the fun part but then when yeah. you're done you're like oh i just wrecked myself but i'm gonna yeah. go out tomorrow and do it again you know and yeah. Yeah. i think because there's such a fun component to it people will push themselves beyond i think what they can like their limit so do you think should they should like climbers should be doing like dips and push-ups and you know even bench press like 100 percent. what yeah. percentage of them actually would be doing that do you think i would say like most people that i train don't do any kind of bench press and when they come to me they're like oh, I'm going to do bench press and they don't know how to bench press. So they don't even know how to chest press or they don't even know how to do a push up. you know, like yeah. that to me, that's like, okay, like climbing has been such a focus and like the climbing industry continues to say, just keep climbing and that's how you're going to get better. Um, so yeah, like the second, you know, people start training with me, they're like, oh, all of a sudden I feel really strong just generally. And now I know how to do these other movements. Um, and also the thing about climbing is that it's not, um, really part of the fitness industry. So people who, nah. yeah, like people who come into climbing are often maybe previously, maybe they were runners or maybe they were sedentary and, you know, they're engineers. Like a lot of climbers are engineers or doctors or something like that, where their yeah. life has been consumed by work. And then now they're going to come climb and they just have, um, 
like their their skill for moving their body, you know, is is pretty low. And so like you they have to learn how to now move their body and like, oh, this is a bicep curl. Cool. I'm I'm gonna do yeah. that. And that's fine. Like and that's my job is to help people, you know, learn that yeah. and and how does that fit into climbing? Um yeah. and and what's like it's a little sad because like I think people are like, oh I'm I'm cross-training, it's taking time away from climbing. Like, no, like, yes, maybe, but in the end, this is going to help your climbing in the end. Like, in the long road, you're going to be so much stronger, fitter, healthier if you're doing this other stuff. Yeah. To me, it makes sense that if you just increase the horsepower, like the basic kind of strength, um, and especially the range of motion in in the hips and whatnot, then there's just more tools to work with. You still got to like fine tune them for that specific activity. But it's like, if you take a bodybuilder versus one of those doctors or whatever, and and you have them go do weight lifting or gymnastics, the person with the muscle is, it's going to be easier to wire in new patterns to that person than put Mm -hmm. a bunch of muscle and tendon ability and whatnot into the the sedentary person. So the sooner you can get them to like a, elite rock climbing strength numbers, then those skills are going to, you know, they're going to have more options for the skills and whatnot as well, I guess. Yeah. And, and climbers are very adverse to putting on uh, muscle mass. Yeah. They're like, well, if I put on any kind of weight, that's going to be harder for me to pull. Like, okay. Yeah. Like some education needs to happen here in terms of like muscle size and strength, you know, like, I think there's a disconnect there for a lot of people as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best guys are pretty wiry. Hey, like, are there any other, is the bold, bolder body shape any different to, I guess there's like the speed climbing, which is just super powerful. And there's probably a few different body types depending on. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. I don't really, that'd be fascinating to hear more about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like the, so you've got the alpine climbers who, because they're climbing all day and they're just doing pitch after pitch after pitch. um, And I would say like technical rock climbing is not part of alpine climbing. They're just placing gear in cracks and they're climbing kind of like this, you know, so they're using the cracks and like their fingers in a very different way. Those folks are going to probably be kind of like uh, the less muscular um, more cardio adapted or endurance adapted. Um, so like they could be maybe smaller in stature, like they don't need a ton of muscle essentially. Um, yeah. and then there's the sport climbers, which, um, like most people know, like Alex Honnold, um, and then, um, Adam Andra, he's like definitely one of the top sport climbers in the world, very skinny, but very toned as well. Like they're, like you can just see every single muscle. So it's like low body fat percentage, um, very sinewy. And, uh, but the, the girth is not as big as a boulder because bouldering would be like the most gymnastic of all disciplines. Um, and now you're seeing like men and women with bigger muscle size, um, more mobility, um, you know, like that they're just like kind of like the freaks of the climbing world. Yeah. Um, and so like I think now, like when you see the competition aspect, uh, those athletes are definitely training a little bit more kind of like gymnastic style uh to get their body ready for that kind of thing. And and then there's like speed climbing, which yeah, they're built kind of like sprinters, you know, mm. uh, very, very similar. Yeah. So the boulder is a which are the, which are, which would you say are the better physically developed, the, the, the speed climbers or the boulders? Um, you know, I don't know. I would say the boulders only because the, there's so much variation yeah. in their movement. Whereas like speed climbing, um, the route never changes, like never. Like it is a set thing. It's just like a sprint. Like you just do one thing and that is it. Um, And so I I think speed climbing 
is really helpful for bouldering and bouldering is really helpful for speed climbing. Um, but in terms of like full development, I'm not sure. I think that would be, that's a hard call for me. I, I yeah. would prefer like bouldering training over speed climbing training anytime. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The variety and complexity, like always learning, experimenting. Yeah. 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 Cool. And what, what is, what's the, what's the next big thing for you then in, in terms of your progression is, is the focus like the V10 or is it really like seeing the next level progression with your, with your business? Like if you could only choose one, where would you go? Oh, Keegan, that's really hard. Um, that's good. <laughs> so you really love is, both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, because yeah. one feeds into the other. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think that has been, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned is that I am, I pre like, I practice exactly what I preach, you know, like yeah. I can't have it any other way. And for me to push my body and my limit will only help me be a better coach in the end. Um, so but in terms of like marketing, I think my business and my marketing, that's like my, my, my weakest skill set. Um, and so like, I would say the weakest part of this whole chain is my marketing. And I think that's really where I should be focusing most. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're doing, you're doing some great stuff with your marketing and yeah. yeah. Thank it's, you. Um, yeah. You, I mean, very few people get to the point that you're at as well. Like I think, a lot of personal trainers and coaches and people who graduate from exercise science like tend to be high achievers and tend to be kind of hard on themselves like played hard in elite sport etc like it's also good to recognize like you really are doing something that a lot of people value you're making an impact and like to get to the point that you've got to already is is super uncommon and it you know like it's something to be really proud of like every now and then it's good to like acknowledge that and then yeah for sure we're going to go back to work like that's our nature but like yeah. you really have done something great and uh, yeah it's cool to be able to sit down and uh, share a bit more about that that journey with you so i appreciate you um taking taking the time today it was, it was lovely to get to know you much more than uh text messages and and whatnot which is a yeah. lot less human than this yeah oh yeah thank you so much keegan i i really appreciate hearing that thanks so much cool. and uh, All right. yeah look forward to to, to the next chapter yeah we'll catch up soon